I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. One of the defining characteristics in the communications industry since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic has been courage. Business advisor Stephen Waddington recently identified more than 50 new PR agencies that have been founded in the last 15 months. Many of these were started during the first lockdown of spring 2020, and many of those were the result of practitioners re-evaluating their lifestyles and the market as a whole. But regardless of the reasons, all of those agency founders were brave to establish a new business at a time when the world was in turmoil and uncertainty. And it's not just new businesses. I'm full of admiration for those agency leaders who've pivoted and pushed on when the markets they served have collapsed. Travel and hospitality specialists, for example. All of those people have taken brave decisions. And it's not too big a stretch to say that courageous leadership is a fantastic quality to have in 2021 and beyond. In today's show, I'm exploring this in more detail with Ken Jacobs, a leadership coach who works specifically with PR and marketing practitioners. Ken originally joined a PR agency on graduation from university and says he was very fortunate to work for a company run by two women he describes as glass ceiling breakers. As a result, he was given exposure to new business pitches and presentations earlier in his career than many others and was also given lots of responsibility at a young age, meaning he got into management and leadership early in his career. But after some 25 years, Ken says he needed to reevaluate things. Things were not working well. Each of my positions was lasting uh, shorter and shorter duration, and not always by my choice, if I'm being honest. And I'm a big fan of the Venn diagram. So we made one circle of what am I really good at or what I believe I'm good at, you know, better than others. What what am I passionate about? And what's going to create a life of abundance, you know, because I think you've got to have all three and you put those three circles together. And this is an exercise I do with some of my coaching clients and you find that sweet spot. So for me, the sweet spot was a business consulting, training, and coaching for PR marketing, advertising agencies, and and their leaders and senior executives. Ken says it took him a long time in hindsight to figure this out, and he was 50 years old before he hit the sweet spot in his career. But he uses that experience in his coaching role now, advising people to think about what they're good at, what they're passionate about, and what will provide a life of abundance very early in their careers. Speaking personally, Ken's story resonates with me. I was 42 before I finally left agency life to establish myself as a consultant. And though there are very good reasons I didn't do it earlier, maybe it's indicative of the fact that in our 20s and 30s, we're preoccupied with doing the job we're in as best we can. Ken believes that Generation Y and Generation Z can teach people of our age, and Ken and I are both Generation X, about the role that work should have in our lives and a better perspective on what you want out of work and career. He says he was just too busy working earlier in his career to think about it. I'm a baby boomer, the child of parents who grew up in the Depression. You know, it was all about work. And I loved it. I loved it and I was good at it. But I will tell you, as much as I loved my career in PR, the fulfillment level, you know, what I'm getting now, 
I, I can't even compare the two, not even close. A lot has changed in the last decade when it comes to attitudes to work-life balance. I asked Ken whether he'd had to adapt his approach to coaching in accordance with this, especially in the last few years. For me, the biggest change was I started coaching in 2007. And like many fields, you know, you can call yourself a coach without being trained or certified. I had always used a coaching style in leading people, so they tell me. And I'd had coaches on and off for a good 10 years. My change was less of the time and of the uh, society, but I got very serious about my coaching around 2014. And I went and I got trained and certified. That was the biggest change for me because it gave me so much more of a coaching methodology and process uh, because the coaching process is so different than a consulting process. Consulting, you tell your clients what to do. Hopefully they listen. Hopefully they pay you well and they come back for more. But, you know, you and I might in a consulting session tell our clients, oh, yes, Ken, Paul, oh, I'm, I'm going to do that. But have we really engaged them? Have we mm-hmm. really set them up for action? And that takes understanding the neuroscience a little bit. And what I know about it is when we use a coaching process and when we ask open-ended empowering question, that lights up their brain and Mm -hmm. it lights up their brain where passion exists and commitment and engagement exist. And so coaching lights that up uh, and questions light that up. And so, you know, my mantra is don't tell, ask. Every time I want to tell my client something, I fight the urge and I think, what's the question I could ask? So it doesn't come from my brain in my mouth, but their brain in their mouth. Because yeah. if it comes from my client's brain and mouth, the, the level of commitment, the chance that they'll actually take that action because it's theirs and they own it is, is so much greater. And that's what we want. We want our, we want our clients to take the actions that they feel will get them where they need to get. So it's really been the training certification and using a true coaching process that for me changed more than, I mean, I think the other thing that's changed, you know, many years ago, coaching was sort of, uh, you know, if you were in trouble, right, (laughs) remedial, like you're really in trouble, you may lose your job, hopefully we'll coach you, we'll hire you a coach and maybe you can save your job or you're in trouble. It's remedial. We're going to give you this coach. And they knew that, you know, if they couldn't get better, they would fire the person without HR, you know, getting, getting them all in trouble. So it wasn't really as, you know, it either wasn't authentic and sincere or it was mostly for red zone, what I call red zone cases. Yep. Now, and I can't tell you if it started 10 years ago or 20, the light bulbs went on in corporate America and it's going on, and, and I assume through the world, not just America, and in the agency world that coaching isn't just remedial, right? We can do coaching, we have these great leaders in training and we want to accelerate their leadership success and give them more responsibility for people leadership. Coaching's a great way to do that. If we've got high potential employees with, again, leadership potential, coaching can be our tool to accelerate that and and have a great impact on their leadership 
capabilities. That to me is the biggest change. And that's, that's very exciting, obviously, as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's quite a fascinating area with the psychology of it and everything. Oh, if, if you look at, for me, the biggest change in coaching, and that's still happening, and leadership is the neuroscience, is understanding how we can engage the brains of those we are either coaching or those or those we're leading. It's fascinating. And, you know, it's, it's proven true. Yeah. So, uh, and I think part of that, you know, with a consultant, you know, as a consultant, you're doing the heavy lifting, right? Expertise, advice, counsel based on your experience as a coach, if I'm in a coaching session. So if I'm coaching Paul, I believe Paul has everything he needs to succeed for fulfillment to get rid of what's getting in the way of his success. We passionately believe our clients have the tools. I don't need to tell Paul anything, but I have to empower him to remove whatever is getting in the way of his success. That to me is a good way to, to understand the difference between coaching and consulting. Yeah. Interesting. I know that you recently wrote about this. One of the things that you believe now is that one of the, I guess one of the critical leadership skills that we need in 2021 now is is courage it's bravery why is that what why is that such a critical thing now well you know courageous leaders have always been magnetic and i mean literally magnetic they attract followers right mm. and this has been proven time and time again and you know in light of where you're located you know if you look at Churchill and the courage he gave the British people during the Blitz and the Mm -hmm. Battle of Britain and and throughout World War II. And, you know, FDR was the same. And, you know, I've talked about the courageous leaders I admire, Gandhi and Malala and Martin Luther King Jr. And there are so many more. They found courage within and that allowed their followers to find their courage and they absolutely, you know, changed the world, mm-hmm. you know, brought uh, the right to education to, to young girls in Afghanistan, brought people from slavery to freedom and fought for civil rights. I mean, these really big things mm. and, it, and for independence, you know, that's the power of courage. And so I think that's always been true. I think it's more important now than ever Because we have been through some very uncertain times, you know, since March of 2020. I don't call them challenging intentionally, because I believe if you view something as challenging, you're automatically challenged. Why, Why do that to yourself? Let's think of them as uncertain or even interesting, you know. But because of that, and now we're coming back from that, you know, people are exhausted (laughs) and they're wiped out. Mm. And I think if we bring that courage, and I've seen that in leaders over the last, you know, 15 or so months where they were able to say, look, we don't know when the end is in sight. We don't know what this new normal will be or next normal, whatever you want to, or when it will be. But stick with me, guys, you know, I need you in the boat with me together. And I I see that, you know, we're going to get through this storm and I see that lighthouse at the end and we will get there and I need you with me. And so I've seen courageous leaders like that. 
And, you know, energy is contagious. We absolutely believe that. So courage is contagious. Mm. So, you know, you choose optimism or pessimism. You choose courage or fear. But if you are courageous, that that attracts your followers to you and it gets them helping you in what you want to achieve. And I've seen leaders, you know, in the agency space, pivot their business serve different industries who needed them because some of the industries they'd been serving didn't have the money to pay them, you know, like the travel business, some of the fashion business, uh, you know, brick and mortar uh, retail, you know, if those were your clients, you had to serve other clients. And then you also look at, I've seen agency owners pivot and, and focus on different service areas or practice areas yeah. where clients had a need. So it takes courage to pivot and it takes courage to get your people comfortable with that pivot. But I've seen a lot of agencies, they're doing great because I think very much because of that. Podcast analysis has always been a major problem for marketers with outreach efforts reliant on dubious download numbers and a lot of guesswork until now. Podchaser Pro is a new service that solves the problem for podcasters and marketers alike. I caught up with co-founder Cole Raven. We've built this new product around audience sizes so that as like a PR agency or a marketing agency, you can use this tool to really understand how many listeners every podcast gets. And then we provide contact information on top of that. We understand how many people are listening to a podcast, how far they get into each episode, in some cases, demographic data. You can't find that anywhere else. Check it out at podchaserpro.com forward slash digital download. Just a quick note here that Ken and I had a recording issue at this point in our chat. So you're going to hear different sound quality for the rest of the show. But once we got up and running again, I asked Ken how he defines courage and bravery in a leadership context. Well, I think the the thing to remember is, you know, what is courage and the notion of, you know, what is courage all about? And for me, it's not never having fear. We're going to have fear. That's, That's there, right? You know, Forbes magazine said, Courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. I don't think that's the case. I found a quote from Thrive Global that courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So for me, you know, it doesn't mean never being frightened. Right. It's your ability to do things maybe despite being frightened. Okay. And that actually, that inspires people because they understand they may never, well, you should not live in fear. Fear is like a blinder. It, it limits choices. We, we very black and white. Okay. We, don't, we don't see our way out, whereas courage helps us see options and, and lifts us up and lifts us out. So it's not that you don't have fear. It's doing, it's going forward and doing things and making choices and maybe trying things a new way despite your fear. Right. That's real courage yeah. for me. And so I think that where that, the context where that comes in in leadership is that when, when you are bringing that, people want to follow you. Mm-hmm. They want to be in the boat with you. It, it is absolutely inspiring. 
it's magnetic. And I, you know, I always say, you know, what's the definition of leadership or how do I know if I'm a good leader and effective leader? And I would say, turn around. And if you see a group of people, whether it's in an agency, a department, a group, you're, you know, a board, if you're on a chapter board, whatever it is, but you see people looking to you and following you and, you know, they see the vision with their eyes, they feel that emotional connection in their hearts and they're willing to take the step mm -hmm. to move forward with you. That That's what courage and leadership is about for me. Do you think that those people we're talking about uh, who you've referenced have, have gone through everything over the last year and have been quite brave in what they've done and pushed things forward, do you think they would see courage in themselves? Or when you're, you're, you're coaching people, is that something that you, you can't sort of self-identify? No, you know, I think to be a great leader starts with leading yourself. So I think for you've got to find that courage within. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think really effective leaders are able to connect with the courage that, you know, step one is what they embrace and what they live and what they model. And that can, that can permeate through, you know, that can permeate to your peers. If you have peers, it can permeate to your teams, can even permeate to your clients. I've often said, you know, in the PR and comm space, what do clients want in their agencies and their agency leaders? Well, they want competence. You got to be good at what you do. Mm. They want communications. They want to hear from their agencies or their soloists or whatever. And I think most clients want to hear more often but they want it in, you know, shorter sound bites, little, little brevity, you know, cut it down, but more frequent communications. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing we forget, and this is in no letter of agreement, it's a no scope of work. I believe clients want courage or at least confidence from their agencies and their agency leaders, because, you know, look, we're asking them to spend how much money on PR and communications plans and integrated marketing plans are even more expensive. Mm. If we don't have the courage of our convictions, if we don't have the confidence to be able to say, this is the right spend and this is what you can expect. And here's why now is the moment. If you can't do that, how can a client pick you? You know, so, so I think it affects the uh, agency or consultant and client dynamic. I believe clients, whether they know it or not, they yearn for courage and confidence mm. in their agencies and agency leaders. Because it's tough being in a client. You know, I always say it's tough. You know, you think it's tough being an agency business, you know, maybe it's tougher being a client. Mm. So they, they need that. And I always say, you know, it's funny because in this business, we are asking for and I'll put it in dollars if that's okay, $50,000, $100,000, $500,000, millions of dollars. Mm. So you would think the PR communications marketing field would just be filled with courageous people. And in some ways it is, but I have observed a lot of fear out there. Mm. So that's maybe the bad news. There is, you know, if, if not fear, at least lack of confidence or somewhere in between. Yeah. But here's two pieces of good news. One, it's coachable. And two, it's good for me and my business because <laughs> many of these leaders come to me so, so we can coach them into walking through their fear and better yet, you know, em embracing their courage.
in English, it seems to me we have more words for negative than for positive, mm -hmm. right? Clients come to me and say, can you help me with stress management? And I think, well, how do we put that in positive terms? We, we don't really have the word for the opposite of stress. So we'll talk about helping them lead from a place of calm and centered, you know, calmness and being centered and, and composed and those kind of things. It's not quite the opposite of stress, but then they'll, you know, we even talk about the word fearless. Well, do I want to use the word fearless? Because the F word <laughs> is right in there. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we migrate uh, in our language and, you know, as a former PR guy, I'm a big believer in the power of language as I'm sure many of your listeners are. So I really try to get them to talk about courage and bravery and even beyond fearlessness. So would you say being courageous then as a leader is not so much about making big decisions. It's about how you feel about making that big decision and perhaps mm. making the decision anyway. That is a great observation and I think very true. And I think, you know, even when we say this is a big decision, mm. We might even be bringing up issues of fear. And so to change that to this is the right decision mm -hmm. right now, I think is more powerful. And I think that taps our courage and it allows us again, you know, depending on the definition, I like that, you know, it's not, it's not being without fear. It's making decisions despite the fear. Mm. So the ability to own the decision, make the decision, and get your people on board with it. And, you know, I, I see a lot in the agency business or where decisions are delayed. Well, I didn't decide that yet. I, I have to think about it more. I have right. to think about yep. it more. You know, and it's like, you've made a decision. No, I haven't. Ken, I just told you I didn't make a decision. No, <laughs> you made a decision to maintain the status quo. Mm. And I, you know, it, in your own best interest to think about is maintaining the status quo. You know, what are the pros and cons of the status quo versus making the decision? In my experience, you know, our gut is always right. And if I look back on my career of, you know, mistakes I might've made, it wasn't lack of judgment, honestly. Not that I'm that bright, I'm no brighter than anybody else. Mm. Um, but it wasn't, it was not trusting my gut and not making the decision and not taking action. So make the decision, make the decision, make the decision. And you know what? If it's quote unquote the wrong decision, you're smart, you're strategic, you'll course correct. And, that, and of course that whole embracing that within comes from a place of courage as, as a leader or as a self leader, how you lead yourself. I got this. And if it's not exactly right, I'll figure it out. Yeah. How much do you believe in what you're talking about there about trusting your gut and instinct? How much do you believe in that from from the clients that you've worked with? Uh, you know, are they do many people go with that that you've worked with or, or are people more I don't know, do they they want evidence because that allays some of their fears? You know, decision making is such an interesting topic, but so often getting data and more data and more data is just an excuse to delay the yeah. decision, yeah. you know? And, and does it come from fear? Maybe. I mean, look, I think my feeling is, of course, look, we need data in the, you know, yeah. of course we need data. You get your best data, you think about the pros and cons of, of both doing what you're doing now and that decision, 
and make the decision, push the button, take action. And I think, and I so, I mean, if you asked, do I believe it, you know, in, in the gut, 100%, 200%, you know, infinite. The gut is the body saying, mm, I recognize this feeling. We've been here before. We know we need to take action. We know we've got to do something. We know we've got to take our head out of the sand. But our brain kicks in somehow and says, well, maybe not. Maybe this time will be different. You know, maybe that client who's been abusive, maybe they're going to change next year. So let's sign them up again. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that person on your team who's dragging people down, you know, maybe if I train them a bit, if I spend a little more time with them, yeah, they'll change, mm. they'll change. So I'm gonna, I'm not gonna fire them. Like all those reasons we create not to follow our gut and it, it, it just never works. Your gut, it's biological, it's anatomical. I don't know if it's literally in your gut, but, <laughs> but it is based upon your body recognizing something before your brain does. And so, for lack of a better term, follow your gut. It's never served me wrong. And I'm, I'm comfortable restating if, if there have been major mistakes along the way, it wasn't one of judgment. It was one of not following my gut. And I, I absolutely stand by that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I've, if, the older I've got, the more I've come to, to think this is, this is true, actually. I've just seen it again and again. And when I hear, well, I just need to think about it more. You know, I go, I will ask, what do you need to know right now, right in this moment to decide right now? And usually it's, I don't, I don't really, I just need to decide. Good. You've got two choices or maybe three, you know, most decisions are two, three, whatever. What's the one that's right now? Make the decision. We're not hanging up till you make the decision. <laughs> I don't usually push my clients too too much, but I think when it comes to decision making, I, I feel as a coach, I want to empower them to decide. And it's not my, and if they say, well, Ken, what do you think I'll do? I will not answer because that doesn't serve them. No, no. It doesn't matter what I think they should do. Them embracing the decision and living with the ramifications, and it's almost always going to be right. And then course correcting if they need to. Yep. That's such an important leadership lesson. I want them to benefit from that. Why would I let my ego get in the way and tell them what to do? Because, and I meant to mention this earlier, not that being in consulting, it's not that your ego is out of control, but there is a little ego thing, I think, when you say, here's what I think you should do. And they say, oh, yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> there's a little, there is, there's a little ego in that. And I think, when you serve, you know, you serve the client better by holding back on your ego and serving them and empowering them and asking the question. Reading around the topic of bravery and leadership, some writers refer to three types of courage. Try courage, trust courage and tell courage. I asked Ken to run over what the approaches to each of these entail. Try courage, you know, is that willingness to do something for the first time knowing you may fail and being good with that. And you may have experienced that when you left the agency world. I know I did, mm -hmm. but you know, I was ready. Yep. Trust courage. And this is a big one. You know, that willingness to relinquish responsibilities, to delegate, but most of all in power, you know, whether it's your leaders, your other leaders there, your leaders under you, your leaders in training, those leadership potential, Give it away, give it away, give it away. 
and let them do it their way. You're still responsible for the outcome, but giving it away to them and that trust and, and hearkening back, we talked about my original bosses, Gene Schoonover and Barbara Hunter. Mm. They trusted me with like big accounts. I mean, my boss went out to the West Coast to create our LA office or San Francisco office or both. And they were like, okay, you're going to run the General Foods account. And it was millions of dollars, mm -hmm. which was a lot of money. I'm like, are they, are they crazy? Well, I can't <laughs> let them down. And if they see this in me, I better figure it out. But boy, talk about delegate and empower. Mm. And, and there's a difference, you know, empowerment mindset is in a way more important than just the delegation. Yeah. And then, you know, what can often be challenging, well, I don't want to say it's challenging, one courage area worth exploring and improving <laughs> is what we call tell courage, to tell people not just what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. Mm -hmm. And everyone listening has some key groups that you need to have that dialogue with. It could be with your clients. It could be with your employees. It could be with your business partners. If you have a partner, it could be with your peers. It's so important. And relating to that, if I may, is this notion of giving constructive feedback, absolutely critical to success. Now, some people call that constructive critique, constructive criticism, and I don't call it that. And I encourage you, discourage you from calling it that, because once you get that word critique in there, suddenly the critique outweighs the constructive. And the word constructive is about building. So every time you have an interaction with a client, with an, well, let, let's just use, you know, as a team member or an employee, and you've got to give them feedback about work product, for example. Don't go to the critique. Think, get into a constructive mindset, a building mindset. Every time you give this constructive feedback, it should be designed to build your relationship with them by building trust. Every time you're going to have that kind of interaction, uh, stop for a minute and don't obsess or focus on the work product that must be critiqued, but on constructing, on building the relationship by building trust. So I think there are four hallmarks of effective constructive feedback. You want to make it honest, diplomatic, direct and kind. Those are the four, and I'll say them again, honest, diplomatic, direct, and kind. And we, with practice, we can learn to give constructive feedback that way. But again, you want to always be communicating respect. And especially if it's with a team member or a peer or what have you, when you present it that way, you're signaling, I know you could do better. I know or I feel that you're capable of work at a higher level. That's a very magnetic energy and a very magnetic feeling. So what results? What results is that ultimately your team members look forward to those meetings with you, to be open to your feedback because they know it will allow them to create greater work or, or work at a higher performance level. But it does change, I believe it takes rethinking from constructive critique to constructive feedback. Big thanks to Ken for his time and to Deirdre Breckenridge for introducing us. Catch up with Ken on LinkedIn.
You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.